<laughs> Can you use this as an outtake? Hey, everybody. You're listening to... The In Hindsight. In Hindsight. In Hindsight. You're listening to the In Hindsight Podcast. Let's go. Hello, hello. Can you hear yourself? Yeah, I can hear myself. Yeah. It's supposed to be out of one ear faint. One ear faint. Like, faintly out of more one ear than, like, the other, obviously. Perfect. It's just, like... That I was going to say, there, this one is... I hear myself a lot more. Yeah. And then this one, you probably shouldn't really hear yourself at all, right? Yeah. yeah that's kind of how I'm at. So, because then I get myself on here. Testing. It was weird, man. When I first got these things, and, like, I was in Jackson, everyone was playing with them, and, like, some people, like, couldn't stand to hear themselves. Some people, like, and I did it during a party, and so, like, everyone was kind of getting tuned up, and throughout the night, people would want to come in and just, like, bullshit. And so I was like, all right. And then you're sitting there, and, like, as they're, like, kind of, like, pretty faded talking, they're like... Ew, I hate the sound of my voice. <laughs> <laughs> they make the realization. <laughs> they make the realization. Like, well, yeah, because we're always talking and the sound is traveling out and away from us, but the habit goes straight back into your ear yeah. in real time. Well, I remember the first time I was like, whoa, that's crazy. That's my voice. Yeah. yeah. Cause what, what, did, what was that? Was that like on like a video or something like that or something? No, I was just recording, recording music, trying to record vocals. Yeah. And stuff like that. And just getting in there and like talking and you're like, oh my God, this is my voice. Yeah. How long have you been recording music? Um, I, I got garage band my sophomore year of college. Okay. Um, was really just kind of like messing around with beats and, and doing really silly stuff. Like if I were to pull up some of the songs I made at that time, it's like not, <laughs> not good. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that was when I was 21, so that was five years ago is when I first just kind of like opened up, like it was more of like a playful thing, like, oh, I'm just going to fuck around and make beats and, you know, whatever. And then I think I got to a point where I started picking it up super fast and I was like, oh, wait, there's something here and like I should continue to make music. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild, man. I mean, music has always been the thing that's led me led the charge for me in my world, right? Whether it's, like, getting out of some slump in life, whether it's, like, going to take a run, needing to get energized, like, music has always been the center and the Mm -hmm. nucleus. And I think for a lot of people it is. But to act on it and to make it, a whole different realm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very... It's that weird... It's that weird thing where you, like, listen to music in your car and you hear somebody else or you're watching a really incredible film and the idea of you being on the other side of being a part of the creation and the pr- production of something mm. rather than just being kind of like the consumer it was it was a crazy flip to be like oh wait this is maybe not as far away as i thought it was cuz in that moment when you're like listening to the radio or listening to your favorite artist or watching a film and you see it you're like it seems like so far away yeah. Oh. It's really it's really tangible. I mean, you definitely, for me at least, I had to stumble like a child. like, And as a grown human trying to pick up something new and stumbling like a child, again, it's super hard for your ego to try to, like, face that. But it, it, was, it was pretty easy for me to, like, keep, keep pushing through. And I think that having that perspective was what helped me grow really fast. Like giving myself that freedom and not letting the self-sabotage come in and some of the more destructive aspects of 
creating anything that, you know, comes along with it. I hear you, man. I, I think that how you said it is perfect because, and I think also what you gained from that was like this ability to recognize that stumbling still meant pushing forward because as we get older, you know, I'm in my thirties now. And when you think about restarting something, you think about those early days where you're going to stumble like a child. And I think it kind of sways your momentum or your motivation to actually go forward because you're like, I don't want to go through those early times anymore. But in reality, we all have to. Mm-hmm. It's just when we get older, we're less likely to, I think, sometimes get that motivation to then do something new, whether it be move into music and try and start learning how to make your own music, uh, video editing, what painting, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always fascinated, like, and which is kind of a, uh, an uh, integral concept of what this podcast is. It's like, getting to that point of what's the fear and pushing past it just to realize it was just mental, right? Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Yeah. That's one of my favorite quotes from Will Smith is he always talks about on the other side of the like most fearful decision or it's like, it's something essentially like the most beautiful things in life exist on the other side of a fearful decision. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you come most alive or in those moments. And I think it's interesting for me to kind of see how I've slowly been conditioned throughout my life to um, to just not have those be prevalent. Like they're not prevalent in my life. And I think certain activities that I do when I am kind of making that fearful decision or like doing something that pushes me out of my comfort zone and it's voluntarily chosen by me to do it, that's like everything. And if you can normalize that, then I think a lot of the unnecessary suffering in life is kind of kind of dissipates because you start to see that that kind of how fear is actually very instrumental in being a compass in your life. And like, it's like, oh, that's that thing that I don't want to do. But I by choosing to go into it, like there's I guess what I'm trying to get at is like if you're on a dock and there's a super icy cold lake there's a big difference f- from somebody pushing you into that lake versus you joyfully jumping into that lake. Mm. And I think that in many ways that friction of life is what we're actually here for is that there's a lot of growth that comes through embracing the friction of fear and things that are like a little uncozy to like participate with. And so yeah. that's been that's had to be a huge flip in my life is seeking those out and like jumping in. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You worded it so well, man. That's a cool, uh, you know, visualization too with the lake aspect and, and, and the metaphor with that. I, um, I want to jump back just because we just jumped right into the deep end, uh, with the lake metaphor, if we may, you uh, reel me in. <laughs> this whole podcast. I knew it though. Cause I guess we should start off by saying like, I just met you not too long ago. Just you were working at the coffee shop and, we were just chatting and, you know, vibe beats vibe, right? As my buddy Gregory always says, who you know as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just were like, hey, start chatting with you because it's one of those rainy mornings. You tell me about this adventure. But before getting into any of that, you know, I just felt like we can chat and we can go down the rabbit hole pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I'm only here for a few more days. Let's hop on the mics and go. But uh, I would love to know just kind of how you, Dylan, like where you came from, early life like where you're born and just like yeah kind of how you found yourself coming to Bozeman yeah I'm I am originally from Great Falls Montana 
which is like very central. Um, there's a lot of beauty in Great Falls. I feel like if you ask a lot of people, they'll just be like, Great Falls sucks. They'll call it like mediocre, mediocre. falls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> or like it's a great place to be from. I think I understand that sentiment and especially as like a younger person who's craving like culture and diversity and and a place to just be free. Um, it's it's prone, any small town is prone to having a community that is very judgmental, especially if that community has lived there their whole life. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it was a beautiful upbringing for me because my parents were both educators and I was super involved in, you know, playing sports. I played almost every single sport you possibly could play all the way up until like, I think seventh grade, you know, I was playing soccer, baseball, basketball, like football, all of the, yeah, all of the ball sports. <laughs> what, um, what was Great Falls known for as far as a like, sports I community? I mean, for a sports community? Yeah, like what was the um, sport of Great Falls, would you say? Football, basketball? Um, I'd say I'd say there was a super heavy <laughs> emphasis on football and basketball, and they had a pretty solid baseball um, scene going on. But um, my my sport was basketball. That was the one that I loved the most. Um, I think that was yeah. To just to kind of give an overview of the upbringing, what kind of informed my younger. My younger days was, you know, just I, my parents are both teachers and I got to do a lot of outdoor activities. My dad's a big like hunter and fly fisherman. So he kind of opened up my affinity for the natural world, just going into a certain chain of the Rocky Mountains. It was like 40 minutes away. Um, so kind of what I harmonized in my my younger days was was that and basketball and um, I loved music. I think hip hop music and basketball was pretty. Um, they went well together. Um, and yeah, I just spent. I think I fell in love with. At the looking back, I loved basketball because it was the first thing that got me into flow state and into a place where I wasn't thinking. It like silenced the thinking mind and um, just a place where I felt very free and creative. And it was like very much a dance for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I spent a ridiculous amount of time just like in the gym and, and you know, going to school. And then I got done with school and um, I had been to Bozeman quite a few times. And my brother went to school at Montana State University. Um, so I kind of was being tugged in that direction. And that's what originally pulled me to Bozeman was school. Um, do you want me to... Do like a little overview of Please. Yeah. Okay. We're here, man. Um <laughs> I wanna I wanna get to know you. Like yeah. I said, you're yeah. leaving in yeah, a few days. I wanna I wanna have this. Absolutely. Um Yeah, and then got to school and I had a pretty a pretty deep passion for nutrition and how food affects the body. Because I had some really crazy things, sensitivities and allergies and just like in high school, I shifted a bunch of things with my diet, and I ended up like growing um, pretty pretty exponentially. My sophomore year of high school, I was five foot eight and one hundred and fifteen pounds, and like now I'm six five and like one eighty, <laughs> and most of that happened in like four year span. Whoa! Um, so like whole transformation, and one summer that I kind of 
shifted my diet, I grew like three or four inches just in that summer alone. Whoa, man. Um, so it like really was hard to pinpoint whether that was timing or if that was something to the food, but more on like a sense of clarity and connection mm-hmm. and just overall feeling like clear with my daily experience. I noticed when I cut out certain foods, I started feeling a lot better. And so that was my doorway into school. I thought I wanted to be a doctor. So I started in pre-med. It's like in the cadaver labs, you know, doing the full thing, just, you know, 18 credits of all the, you know, integrated physiology, chemistry, biochemistry, all of those courses. Um, Realized pretty quick that something was off and I didn't really like it. I wanted to have a social life. Um, Yeah, and intuitively I felt like it just wasn't, wasn't all encompassing, wasn't quite as interdisciplinary as I wanted. And from that point, the next semester, still my freshman year, I went into, went into biochemistry, which was super cool. It was very much like innovation, ideation in the world of tech and biology, had a bunch of cool classes, still felt a little bit off there. Next semester went into environmental science. So in the first three semesters of school, three different directions that I was trying to choose. And I knew there was something there, but I decided that I needed to take some time to like really figure out what it is that I wanted to do. So then I um, um, then I took some time away from school. I took a whole year and a half away. Um, and I also had some other really powerful experiences. Um, I feel like I can yeah. share it on this, yeah, um, on this podcast, but um, I was introduced into the world of psychedelics and... Um, had a very profound experience on top of Sacagawea Peak that kind of just like really made me realize, it made me drop a lot of things. I was still, basketball was huge for me. And I was, at the time, I was still thinking about trying to walk on at Montana State. There was a bunch of basketball players that would play pickup that were on the team and had like told me like, hey man, you can play, you should like consider. So I was still on this kind of very like strong path of like, you know, I need to prove to my like city that, you know, I can play basketball at D1 level. And I think in that moment on Sac- Sacagawea Peak, I really realized how I was living with kind of just a little bit of an augmented compass. And it wasn't really true to, I was suppressing a lot of things inside of me that wanted to come alive. And so it was just the timing was perfect. That happened. I had some freedom to take, you know, take some time away from school. And that's when I met a friend who had GarageBand and he was kind of just tinkering around on his laptop um, making beats. And he like showed it to me and he had a keyboard and I would always just come over and he wouldn't really play it very much. And so I just started playing the keyboard and then he started showing me how to make beats. I got a MacBook and then kind of from there that was like the that whole next year um gap year that I took I just worked picked up music read a ton of books traveled went to um went on a solo trip to Amsterdam by myself which was super epic I love that place such an incredible hub of you know just all different cultures and Mm -hmm. peoples meeting up Mm -hmm. super beautiful um and super such a people too man 
such a cute, such, yeah. a, such a cute town. It such is. A, like pretty. Cute like, is like kind of the like, perfect word for it. I know. I was like, walking around. I was like, this is cute. Is, <laughs> everything is so cute here. It's not like going to like an old Western town in Montana and be like, yeah, this is cool. Like, this, this is, is rustic. Rugged, it's like, yeah, yeah it's like, this is cute. Yeah. yeah. Always a little like. Brick. Going around on bi- bicycles, <laughs> nice cobblestone roads. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, then you find yourself in the red light district. I don't know how cute yeah, that still, place is, but you know, it's still. It's got, it's got something for everyone. For of course. Sure. <laughs> it's still part of the culture there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then I went, I did, I had that trip and, and that was just an incredible year. And I, you know, my, my journey into exploring other medicines and, and things of, you know, in the psychedelic world, I had really incredible mentors and like friends that were very responsible and, um, opened up the doorway into that in a really unique and special way. And Mm. those were just kind of super instrumental in me kind of starting to explore who I was. Um, It was a very malleable time to kind of like look back at, it almost felt like there was this like these two parts of my life and I like completely was reborn into this new phase of my life where I was actually writing the script versus kind of just like, dogmatically being you know this like unconscious passenger of something that I didn't choose yeah um there was a big shift and then that Mm. year kind of um of making music and reading and working and saving money gave me some incredible perspective too just getting out of high school and being like okay like here uh, here we go like this is life yeah you know and so from that point um yeah, just came across incredible books and had beautiful friends come into my life that were on a similar path. One of my friends, his name's Rob Ford, he actually hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, and he was one of the people that I met during that year of kind of working and making music. And um, yeah, so that was that was kind of that whole journey. And then I would go back to the university because I knew I wanted to finish um, what I started. And in that, in the meantime, I, I kind of, you know, I just had a really strong passion and desire and curiosity to innovate ways to figure out how to exist on earth harmoniously as a human being. Cause that's like the ultimate question that I think we have been struggling with for the longest time, whether it's hunter gatherer to, Mm. modern day colonial settlerism where we're kind of posted up in these cities and industrial settings. It's like, that was the, that was the thing that I was, you know, fermenting and marinating in was just like that question. And it's a big one too, man. (laughs) Super big. Yeah. I'm still, you know, have you read Sapiens? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm listening to that one right now. I'm like halfway through and stuff and yeah. Yeah. Asking (laughs) these questions and you're just trying to digest being like, all right. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's super insightful and it's cool to see somebody who takes an approach in that book. Yeah. That's a little bit more, you know, the semantics are oriented towards mm-hmm. like uh, the scientific community and yep. you know, anth- anthropology and yeah. and things of that nature. Um but yeah, th- I went back to campus and I kept trying to find advisors and it's funny cuz in your degree works when you finish school they mm. list all the times that you went in and met with people and it's like oh like dylan talked about taking maybe these courses or choosing this to, like degree path and it's all like super chaotic and like i'm exploring all of these different things and then i meet this lady named mary stein 
which I'm sure Kyrie actually would probably know pretty well, but she's incredible. Um, she's the head of the department that I ended up finishing my degree in. Oh, wow. And I found this degree path that the the name of it is Sustainable Food and Bioenergy Systems. And so it's this multidisciplinary degree that allows you to explore agroecology, creative entrepreneurship, culinary arts, um, holistic thought management, how to be a consultant um, in environmental stewardship. And it was just like perfect. And I met her. She showed me the whole course. And from that point, it was smooth sailing. And I ended up, you know, finishing with my Bachelor of Science in essentially like agroecology. And when I say agroecology, it's basically just trying to take principles of like the ecological world that hasn't really been tinkered with by humans and implementing them into our agricultural systems. What do you mean by not tinkered with by humans? What, what, is, the, what is the example Well, when you think about like a ancient redwood forest that really is self-regulating and self-assembling and doesn't require any kind of human intervention to mm. take care of itself. Um, that's, I guess that's kind of what I mean. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. like in the heart of the Amazon, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places where it's just like, there's so much diversity and there's so many different like loops and systems that are all synced into each other. They're all feeding each other. And like the whole process is really integrated that it's fueling itself and sustaining itself. And it doesn't, we don't need to go in there to mm. be like, oh, this needs to be healed or restored. It's like, it's good. It's chilling. So um, what is, sorry, what is the difference between something like that, which makes sense, versus everything else in nature pre-us humans who then ultimately, like everything in nature before us was doing that exact, exact same thing you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So what makes it now, like, are you talking about things that with humans on earth now and are, you know us coming in being the disruptor that we were it's now these are like pockets of e ecosystems that don't need us to actually do anything to sustain its growth or whatever it is or like is there some other definition for it because in my head like before we showed up on on this planet and before we got going everything was doing what the redwoods are doing right yeah yeah i mean the whole entire coast of california the redwoods that we see today represent 5% of what originally existed there. 5%? Yeah. Whoa. During the California gold rush, there was an like, like incredible amount of, you know. Logging. Logging. Yeah. Which is, under, like, in yeah. a way, I, when I speak about these things, it's, it's not to say that, like, we necessarily are doing it wrong, but I think we have, like, engineered, at this point, we're, we're creating these different, ecological crises um for the for the reason of like now it's almost like we're doing this so that we can continue evolution and mm -hmm. it's going to require us to step into a whole nother level of creativity and acknowledgement of of what we what didn't work because like yeah. sometimes the discourse is ne like necessary in order for us to like have a place to pivot from mm. be like okay we brought this like out of us and understand we can understand the damage that can happen when we aren't living in sync and maybe when we have a f like misconception misconception of what we truly are mm. um sorry i'm going to get on a tangent i need to go back to your question no no you're good um, man tangents are welcome so i mean the way i see it is like even like a city like bozeman 
depending on depending on like the collective psyche and ideologies and like cosmology stories and religion and whatever kind of is the consensus reality held by a group you know let's say it is like a whole group of settlers moving across the west um and like during colonization whatever exists within that collective psyche becomes manifest you know in Mm. the way that we relate with the land and i just think that a lot of our understandings of how to build things sometimes separate um those natural flows and and they're informed our our constructs and our constructions of cities and communities are sometimes more so a product of the egoic mind of man you know predominantly we it's very much like a more so a patriarchal society that we live in than a you know one that's biocentric that's informed by um the ecologies kind of mind right i guess what i'm getting at is there's fields like biomimicry and these forms of architecture where you can be inspired by natural processes that have evolved for billions of years and exist in these places that are Mm self-regulating like an ancient redwood forest that if we were to like actually observe long enough and understand and take the time to study those systems we could implement them into the things that we design and manifest and construct in the world Hmm. so there is this there is a pretty extreme polarity that you can see when you're in new york versus going into you know the redwoods in california and the way that you feel and the way that things are functioning and and you know everything is nature like it is it's all of it is natural to a certain extent but i think i think some things are are happening and they're they're taking place without any effort of us to do anything. And then there's the things where you can see where human intervention took place. Right. And like, that's where you get to see the mind of like, like, why did we agree upon these structures? And was it out of efficiency? What kind of like, you know, beliefs and religions and like the construct of hierarchy, where is that embedded into all of the things that we exist in the transactional nature of society now like is is that the same transactional nature that exists in nature is there Mm -hmm. a lot more reciprocity in an ancient redwood forest and is there a lot more extraction in in these kind of industrial settings so every industrial space is nested in a surrounding ecology is i guess what i'm trying to get at (laughs) (laughs) it's it's complex man when i explain this it's like I think this degree path, even in a way, was I've always had a deep curiosity of just trying to find like a truthful way of existing on Earth. Hmm. And in many ways, it's not even about me becoming like an environmental consultant. It's just me being like, okay, hmm. what what is actually going on, and what what should how do I want to live? Yeah, you know, is it truthful for how you view the world, or how you think? To some degree, because it has to be how you view the world, right? We've got 8 billion people on this earth with 8 billion views on how to live life, right? So essentially it is you. But is it how you can kind of see that we as a culture should move towards in a lot of ways? Like when you sit there and say, like, I want to live a truthful life Mm -hmm. in this, or how do you phrase it? You want to live like a, 
the truest form of this life that you can in this world and, you know, harmoniously together, like, is it what you truly believe like us as society, us as cultures, us as beings can live like that and actually sustain with this modern 2022 life that we all live or I think we're getting to a point of like inev like it's going to be inevitable that we like need to make some kind of shifts what informs my decision is just I think I had some big realizations of just like how connected am I to my daily experience and like mm -hmm. on every level do I know where my clothes were made do I know where my car was made and how it was made do I mm. do I know where this food I'm eating every single day was made mm. and who and how? And it just became this process of like, I want to be connected. Like, so a tr like my my most truthful way of of living would just be. It's like you, you can wake up every day and there is these like layers of fog or, you know, the smoke and mirrors of life like. And I think I've just been slowly trying to polish it and make it a lot more clear and really wake up and just like live a conscious and connected lifestyle. And so yeah. it's a slow process and food was my doorway in. And mm -hmm. I was like, all right, I want to learn how to grow my own food. I would love to learn how to make my own clothes and like, you know, weave and, and sew and, yeah. and like make my own pottery. That would be sick. Like where do all of these things, it's just like, that was that was, I think, what informed me. I'm by no means, you know, perfect on all those levels, but I do think, I don't, I just think that I'm, I'm making slow transitions towards that. And I, and I see that there are a lot of issues and a lot of suffering that exists that are pretty unnecessary. Um, and I think what we're all craving at the end of the day is to be connected mm. and to feel a sense of belonging and have a community that is all connected and, I think that, you know, if I can live in harmony with the earth and eat clean food that I grew and have a bunch of people that I know living in a similar plot of land and we, you know, can satisfy our essential needs, then it's all about creative expression and the poetry and like the exploration of human consciousness. And like, but I think a lot of people don't have the luxury of even exploring those ideas until those necessary meets, needs are met. Mm -hmm. And we have the means nowadays. Mm -hmm. We have the tools, the resources, we have the creativity, we have the level of consciousness mm. that it's like, it just becomes a matter of like getting people to all focus their attention consistently and heal the fray of like fragmentation. Cause mm. like it exists, like our attention's being like put into so many different, different places. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you said so many things there, but like, you know, one of the things that I've kind of been phrasing this is like the the person of the driver, the, the driver's seat in the soul is kind of this purpose in life. Like, what is a purpose and how do you even begin to even find your purpose? Right. And it starts at this time period in life where it's like if you're so fragmented, you kind of keep going and wandering and wandering and wandering. And for myself, this podcast is kind of an expression of finding purpose to some degree. And it is me wandering, but wanting to talk to people while I wander and gain insights into my, my world, my community, uh, my culture, and just everything about it so that I can start putting the pieces kind of back together of this fragmented mat that was growing up, not understanding the world, not understanding what I wanted to do. And being a boy from Philly, starting and following through with a lot of my dreams in a lot of ways, watching them come through and realizing it did take time. 
And I hear what you're saying. And it just reminds me of these people who are in these places who sometimes people just go, I, I don't have what you have over there. I haven't been able to have the opportunities like that. It's like, well, I made mine. And it did take a lot of wandering and it did take that slow process that you're getting at from making food to your clothing to, you know, all these things that we want to learn. It's just how do we put purpose in front of everything and kind of wrap our heads around it a little bit. And then that let that be kind of the driving force to go forward. And I might just be speaking out my ass, but that's kind of what I was able to grasp in a little bit of my life. And because it was a lack of purpose that kind of made me flounder in a lot of ways. And so it's really cool to hear that this is the stuff you're doing because it's what I've been learning. There's a garden out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I've taken up hunting this year for the first year. Nice. And I'm okay with not being successful necessarily on the hunt because I know that the slow process means we have to get through all the growing pains of learning how to shoot the arrow, um, how to stalk the animal, how to do everything properly to get that meat into the freezer. Mm -hmm. Just like growing, like I have half a garden, I'll show you after the podcast, like, Mm -hmm. you know, one part of it I'm really proud of. The other part is a sad, you know, comical story. But at the end of the day, I can't help but smile when I walk away from that because it shows that I've started something that in a lot of ways is showing me purpose of how to live a cyclical lifestyle, something that I am doing myself that allows me to harvest something that makes me proud in a lot of ways. And it's that pride that brings up my spirits that then creates confidence to keep going to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think we, you know, there's a lot of different words for it. You know, I think purpose and connection are synonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think purpose for human beings is re- really unique to human beings because purpose has like this thing embedded into it of like, you know, everybody's got their David and Goliath story or like the hero's journey that they're on. And there's some kind of like thing that you want to achieve in life. And I just think, I just think that there's like at the core of it, we're just trying to figure out how to how to belong. Um, I think it's confusing as like like we're conscious beings, and when you kind of come to the grips of your own mortality, and you have the self awareness and self consciousness of like I'm a human being on this planet, it's mm-hmm. hurling through space, and you know I need to derive some kind of meaning that will help me get along through this life. Mm-hmm. A lot of animals are just kind of synced up. It's like they're almost like on autopilot and they are like they know what they're here to do and it's just like a code that's like built it in built into them Mm. and i think that's what we're trying to figure out is like how can we how can we belong and how can we like become you know like one thing i like to talk about is there's this sliding scale that i hear a lot in the collective dialogue if you know humans are cancer on earth humans are a parasite it's like that's so silly like there's no possible way like I understand where our behaviors are like off but I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a spectrum that you can hang out on and the goal for me is to become more so on the keystone side of the spectrum of there's keystone species that play these incredible functions of you know working to co-create and steward things in ecosystems for many other beings and life forms and I think we as human beings have the greatest capacity to be that co-creative keystone species on earth and that's the in that is the sense of belonging and so like if hunting 
and gardening, those things that you start to pick up. Like for me, hunting was a lot of me just living this dogmatic kind of, I just want to, you know, perform in this for my dad so he's proud for the sense of like pride of like, I, I just want to make him proud. Mm-hmm. And then I got to a point specifically, you know, where I was a little bit more aware and more conscious when I was older and I um, shot my first elk that I just had this like incredibly powerful experience of recognizing the animacy, the spirit, the personality that was in that animal and just like broke down and cried and like understood the responsibility of hunting and like taking another animal's life. Um, I think in that whole process, it's me and my dad had a conversation of like, this is, this is natural law. Like this is, you could go back into the city and you could go work a job that you maybe don't love and then get a form of currency that you then go to the grocery store to buy some meat that you have no idea where it came from. And so and he just kind of helped me reframe it of like, yes, this is powerful and whatever you need to do to like have your own kind of practice and prayer and relationship with the animal and the land when you do decide to shoot an animal, you should establish that. But like also um, kind of just was like, this is incredibly responsible of you this is you're now able to feed not only yourself but your whole family for the whole winter so there's just like all of these I guess all of these different things that we're that we're learning I mean that used to be something so so normal Mm. you know hunting being hunter gatherers and foraging and and I think this return in the modern lifestyle is kind of reinvigorating these aspects of self that I think need to be nourished because so many of the issues that exist in modern day society, I think have to do with a lack of connection to those things that, you know, 99% of our evolution was as hunter gatherers. It's Mm -hmm. a very recent thing to be settled in one space. And I guess one more thing to, you know, talk about hunting and how beautiful it can be. As long as you're living in Montana and there's winter coming around, you should, you should definitely know how to hunt. It's a very responsible thing because there's not things growing in the wintertime. There's that seasonal ebb and flow. So to harvest an animal and have meat all winter and then supplement it with other things, it's really, it's a really incredible skill. And the whole process requires you to kind of become the forest and become the animal. And I think you have respect for the forest and the animal through that process of actually learning it. So like kudos to you for, for taking those on, man. That's, that's super beautiful. Yeah, man. And, and it had to be, well, thank you. And, and beautifully said everything with that too. Um, you know, it had to be something that being in the hunting world for a couple of years now, I wanted to observe it. I wanted to observe it and make sure that this is what I wanted to do, not because of peer pressure or because of where I worked or this, that, or the other thing. I wanted to make sure that this is something that felt right. And I understood and wrapped my head around why it was I was harvesting this animal. And it was last year at the end of the seasons of everything that I was like, next year I'm doing it because I see what people are able to do, providing for themselves, providing for their family and just understanding that by taking this animal and and taking its life and, and removing it from the wilderness, it is providing such a deep resource for us humans to, like you said, be respectful, responsible, most likely, um, most importantly, sorry, of doing that thing that is Montana, where we have a 
terrible short growing season for so many reasons that if this is something that you do consume meat, how this can help you and thus make you someone to go forward with and go, how can I live and build a life around something that gives me this when it comes to wintertime and everything I was able to store, can, jar from the summertime, the short summer we have, I can now utilize. And I think, like you said, once we got away from hunter-gatherer life, we really did start to disassociate from nature and start to not understand why it was so important to go back into it and harvest from. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. And the other thing I wanted, and this is, um, it's so it's so uh, it's so poignant that you brought this up when you're talking about how people you've heard the word like we are disease on this planet. We are, you know, an infestation, whatever it is, we've all heard it. And I've and I've been into that for a little bit. And then I asked myself this question the other night, like literally two nights ago, I think after Kyrie and Michaela were here. And I don't know why I was in this world, but I was just thinking like the universe, it feels so um, systematically like everything that's happening, right? Like we are a certain distance away from the sun, which allows the earth to be what it is. Mm-hmm. It allowed life to begin here because of that distance from the sun. So whether or not it was put here in some way or if it's how the cookie crumbled, it was still mathematically calculated to be what it is and have us be here. So I then think if the universe is a calculation of multiple calculations, right? Of things working, not working, being too close to sun, being too far, having its effects in that distance or whatever. Weren't we always meant to be a potential that would arise here? And so if we're a potential and we are something that had the capabilities of becoming what we are, it's weird to think of us as an infestation or a disease. I went real deep in my rabbit hole mind with that one the other day because I was like, it, the universe wouldn't have allowed us i think to be here or give us that option to be here mm-hmm. if we were a quote-unquote disease infection for this earth that was destroying it absolutely i i mean i've spent a lot of time in this space man it's <laughs> it's super it's super interesting i'm you know i i have a deep passion for education because my parents were both educators and i've always wanted to teach in some way. And, what do they teach? You don't want to um, my dad teaches AP government and economics to seniors in high school. My mom teaches English to seventh and eighth graders, but she kind of doubles as a counselor because she creates her writing prompts to be very vulnerable. Mm. So then people will share things and then she can like, if they share something super deep, she can like very respectfully call them aside and be like, hey, if you want to talk about this, I'm here for you. Yeah. So super special. She's an angel. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, they, they taught and they taught in kind of the, um, the constraints of conventional institutions, mm-hmm. you know, following the curriculum that was provided, not really having a whole lot of creativity to design their own. And that's what I want to do. And mm-hmm. so to kind of loop this back to what you're talking about, one of the things that I like to spend a lot of time in is this kind of idea of self-science. And there's so many different ways that we can understand self Um, and for me in this whole conversation of trying to figure out what we are in the sliding spectrum of like, am I a parasite or am I actually something beautiful? You know, in that whole journey, when you break down all of the things that you've labeled yourself to kind of reinforce your ego's orientation, my most beautiful kind of rendition on 
trying to understand myself that I like to explore a lot is every single human being on this planet is a like little microcosm of the macrocosm. So it's like everybody's a like crystallized drop of the entirety of the universe that's trying to understand the entire universe from the inside out. So we are these little like I guess a really some I listened to a podcast and they basically said the one broke itself into the many for the joy of coming back to being one again. Mm. And so for me, I see myself as being, you know, one of the fractals of the larger all-encompassing universe. And that gets me excited because then my job is to be here to explore Mm. and to be different. And that's where diversity of expressions of beings and personalities and archetypes and all of these different ways that you can design yourself from that point of orientation where the ego exists, that center point. To me, it's like, we are so beautiful. And if we can understand that and we can start to re-engineer our understanding of self, it starts to translate into everything in your life. Mm. Those subtle perceptual shifts allow you to feel more connected, allow Mm. you to, you know, like if you can... If you can expand your awareness with your imagination, like in sync with each other, Mm. it's incredibly beautiful. You can feel the expansiveness of like going out into the cosmos and thinking about some kind of like, you know, galaxy. Mm -hmm. Um, No worries. But but yeah, that's I guess to I feel like that would be pretty instrumental and you know, your, your curiosity in that space, that's, that's somewhere I like to hang out a lot. And I think it's stood, um, stood strong, you know, time again, Mm -hmm. time and time again, just like understanding yourself as that it like, it's pretty liberating. Mm -hmm. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty far out. (laughs) It's definitely pretty far out, but it's also, but it's also like for me, I guess in my, my circle of, of friends and, and people, I obviously don't walk around to people and being like, Hi, I'm the entire universe all at once. It's like, no, I'm Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun to have that as an exercise to. Yeah. To because otherwise you hang out as one thing for too long and you become depressed. Yeah. And so just giving yourself the fluidity to mm. shift and be this kind of loving shapeshifter. Yeah. It it's helped me a lot in my life, especially with music. You know, mm. music is a great place for me to express you know, that dynamic range that I feel that I am. Did you ever feel like you were one thing for a little while and then that actually did make you depressed in a little way? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think in your upbringing, you, you're very susceptible to kind of adopting what you see, the world Mm -hmm. of epigenetics and how your environment influences you that goes to the people that you hang out with. And so like, you know, if you pick up some kind of habit of being like a yes man or mm-hmm. like a, you know, like a like a people pleaser and you're always just trying to make sure everybody's okay. Mm. There's certain things in my in my lineage and my parents and that I had to rewire cuz I was like this is not helping me. Like I I think it's great to be respectful and graceful and kind to all people, mm. but to be a yes man and trying to please everybody and make sure they're okay at all times is not, it's not healthy. 
So I think, you know, more so in that in that world, um, little personality traits and, you know, neurotic behavior that I might have, just trying to become aware of it and and tend to it mm. like you would a garden. And then you can, you know, always plant something new or weed the stuff that you don't like. Yeah. Prune off some shit that's not serving you. All those kind of things. But I think at this point with music and since I've had my own journeys of rewriting my own story and exploring these things, um, I don't struggle with it anymore. It's, yeah. And everything I just shared with you. Yeah. I think I created those those kind of worlds of imagination um, out of necessity. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it that comment right there dovetails perfectly with how we kind of started this whole podcast, which was the not being afraid to explore, not being afraid to like understand that you're going to fall on your face. I think you said as like a toddler, right. Or you're going to be, you know, stumbling like a toddler. It's like what I'm getting at is what you just said about being a yes man, being a yes person. Right. And then understanding that you had to rewire some stuff in order to maybe be a little bit more, let's say just selfish in the regards of like looking out for who you are Mm -hmm. and to understand who you are brought about this understanding of love for music, of love for education, of love for the ecology of life and the biodiversity of life. And it's without rewiring and having awareness to look at that without having that is when you keep becoming a yes man trying to please other people to fill i think a void of actually focusing in on yourself to then make yourself happy it's kind of what i've experienced from the beginning of the summer till now has been how do i start looking at myself a little bit the awareness and i've always been trying to be a people pleaser and i always realized that i was giving that instead of giving it to myself a little bit more and it's really a direct 180 degree flip from how I felt in the beginning of summer to how I feel now. And, up, you know, I don't talk about this too much and whatever like that, but like I'm on this upward trajectory of just feeling wonderful. And that's not a, Hey, everyone congratulate me. It's more of like a, what things was, what things did I change? What things did I rewire to use that to make myself get into this world of understanding, have awareness and then go, Oh, this is what it is for me. And now I'm able to give to others a little bit more without saying yes to all the people and not having like that authentic me come out. And I may have been stumbling over some of my thoughts right there, but ultimately what I'm saying is that how accurate it is to understand how to rewire and not be afraid to go and challenge yourself to figure out what things you need to actually plug into that new, you know, rewiring configuration. And that it's almost been half the fun of trying to figure that out too, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what do you think, what do you think it was? Do you think it was mostly spending the time to kind of flip all the energy that you were giving outwardly and, and directing it kind of inwardly and spending a lot more time to focus on things that you, that you've always wanted to do or what? <sighs> Yeah, I think I think it's the the stuff that I always thought about. It, I was always watching people from the outside doing what they wanted to do and how much fun they're having and sometimes taking that and internalizing it and getting depressed because I wasn't doing that. Well, that's their life. And I would ask myself like, Matt, do you actually want to do that? 
or do you, or are you just jealous that they're living the life that they want to live? And then you look at yourself and that's where I was coming up with this like lack of purpose, lack of understanding, lack of just drive. And I was like, what things, if you wrote them down right now, do you want to do? This podcast is one of them, man. And this podcast was when I looked at it, something that fed my soul because I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories. It's always who I've been. It's what I've been known for, you know, to just have these deep conversations with friends in life and go down these rabbit holes. And so I sat there and I was like, why not start recording them? Why not start taking in the people that I meet, listening to what they say, and then take that as kind of my, my, my knowledge, my book readings, my, my, my understandings, and go forward to then create more of these conversations. And I wound up realizing how much I love that. And then I decided, wow, this is pretty powerful because I'm actually excited about these things now. I love this. And that love brought something up in me. It brought confidence. It brought energy. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't just stop with that. You have to start applying that to the other factions of your life and try and achieve that same feeling you're getting from this newfound thing that is creating that feeling. And so then I started to do that with the other factions of my life, whether it's exercise and stop drinking, whether it's taking away some coffee, like all of these things I started doing were experimentations on how to feel a little bit better so that I could give out there to the world a genuine mat versus one who was walking around a little bit more jealous, a little more envious of other people living their lives that they love. Sorry if that was like convoluted in any way. No, man, that was super beautiful. That was also beautiful. And I, yeah, yeah, that's that's an incredible. It's incredible to get to that point. I think there's mm-hmm. a, like you sharing that truth. There's a lot of people that are like really wavering on mm-hmm. the edge of that's a anytime you share something like that, it's likely that that's that exists in the collective um, unconscious. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are having those similar similar feelings, me, myself included. I've I've had different phases in my life where same thing. I'd see people living their truth and living their mm-hmm. dream and like full like fully embraced and devoted and you know for a while it was kind of like those feelings of jealousy would arise in comparison of like um you know you just see that and then you you want it yourself and it really does take you to make that flip of being inspired Mm. rather than being jealous and being like whoa that's incredible look at them and like sending them beautiful and positive energy like keep keep going and Mm. like like just know that you're inspiring a lot of people and it might go unsaid you might never know that you inspired me but there's a lot of people in my life that have done that yeah um and i i agree with you i think the more that you can kind of get in tune with that Mm. that whisper of the heart Mm. or wherever it is you know it's hard to find the anatomy and the structure of that truthful center inside of us but when Mm. you do kind of come in contact with it start listening to it consistently and then start implementing it. Mm. And then you start to have that feeling of being like carried and it's like everything is happening for you versus like everything is happening against you kind of feeling. And I, I completely resonate with that. That's, that's my journey too. That's kind of my travels that I'm about to go on me accepting and doing this whole journey and doing it solo is me listening to my heart and, you know, just focusing on my music. And there's something beautiful about, there's something incredibly selfless about being selfish, Mm. especially when you're doing 
things that are beautiful for the world and you're taking care of yourself. Like that's the radical revolution, you know, that could take place. Mm-hmm. It's just, and it's super simple of like enough people just really devoting their time and energy towards healing and listening to themselves and waking up every day and doing what they love because people that do what they love are usually not being very destructive. Yeah. So that's, that's you, incredible, man. You've been taking so many words out of my mouth, which I'm, I'm now like very thankful that we actually got to sit down and talk, man. Um, but you know, I always tell people in order to be selfless, you have to be selfish. Like you can't give to others. If you yourself are not taking care of this, mm-hmm. that gives it genuinely because we can give things to others. We, and we all have without fully kind of being all the way there, you know, without maybe having a lot of love, like we can still volunteer and do good things for good people. Like that's not a, that's not, that's not the thing, but it comes down to like, will you consistently stay on top of giving to others? If this isn't like really taken care of, I think the answer is no in a lot of ways because you're just not going to have the stamina to do it you're going to kind of bleed yourself dry for the fact that all you've done, it kind of goes back to our yes man type of thing where it's like easy to do that. But if there's no gas in this tank, you're not going to be able to keep running with it. And eventually the things will break down and, you know, whether it's animosity or these other toxic ways that can come out, I think will show. So I just wanted to like kind of piggyback on that. And then the other thing was like, that's kind of what, you know, this is this chapter we're about to, hear about this is what you just alluded to is this next journey that you're about to go on so all this stuff that we've talked about kind of is leading to this journey that you've alluded to which is when i first met you just a couple weeks ago being like i'm heading down (laughs) i would love to know like what this next chapter is bringing for you absolutely man um yeah part of me wants to continue to hang out (laughs) in that space that's a very very potent space to exist in and I agree with you just I think there is especially in the world of activism mm. I think a lot of activists struggle with it too they they want to give and they want to show up and they want to you know support this revolution that is you know regenerative and restorative but a lot of people aren't in that state of being mm. and so it, it just becomes something that's pretty counterintuitive and it's going to take a lot of creativity you know and I don't I don't knock anybody for you know, it's so beautiful. The people that do have them, you know, their self-care practice and know how to fill themselves up every day and be connected to that current that's got a lot of longevity, like sending more love to you. Um, but yeah, I am, I am about to embark on a journey for the next year, um, to explore different eco villages, um, different kind of permaculture, based um, farms, land stewardship kind of situations where people are essentially just creating living systems that are in harmony and they provide an abundance um, of services to not only subsist and survive and exist in their own little, you know, niche environment, but also to pour back into the surrounding community. So, yeah, for the next year, First stop is going to be in the Azores, which are islands that are, I think, about a thousand miles off the coast of Portugal, southern tip of Portugal, um, kind of where the Mediterranean flows out into the Atlantic. Mm. Um, little chain of islands that have been kind of called the Hawaii of Europe. Um, 
there's a there's an island where this lady who's a natural builder, um, she she builds tiny homes all out of kind of natural clay and straw and soil, um, with her hands, you know, and ho- like has hosted a bunch of workshops and she's designing an eco village out there and she wants me to come help uh, install some kind of food production, specifically vegetable production on her farm, hmm. and then you know, scheme about other things that she can do to provide more services. How'd you, how'd you get linked up with this person? So, yeah, I guess I should probably preface with this whole like (laughs) journey into a year long, um, mission. Last summer I was working in the Bitterroot Valley in Hamilton, Montana, which is South of Missoula. Mm -hmm. Um, They call that the Hawaii of Montana as well, right? (laughs) Not at all. Super magical place, but no. Yeah. Um, that I was working at this place called Homestead Organics, and it was a small homestead run by a husband and wife, um, Laura, Laura Garber and her husband, Henry. Um, Henry kind of managed all of the animal husbandry. They had a really dynamic food system, mm. um, and Laura did all of the organic farming amongst other things, running a nonprofit and kind of hosting internships for high schoolers and college students. Um, but they, they basically were a living testament of everything I was learning in school. All Mm. of their practices were super sound and, and Henry was a wizard when it came to animal husbandry and learning how to use animals and livestock into farming systems to add to the soil and pest management. And also just to like you know, have incredibly beautiful animals to live with and, yeah. you know, share space with. It was super cool. They had ducks and chickens and goats and pigs. And the place that I stayed at um, was in a little Airstream bus on their property. Um, and every day I woke up, there was, I think, a week before I got there, one of the pigs, like, had 20 babies. Um, so there was 20 baby pigs. Is that normal? Yeah, I think so. 20? Maybe. Uh, yeah, there was That's a ton. A yeah. yeah, it was a lot of baby pigs. <laughs> I don't know if there was two. Maybe it was two of them, but yeah, but a lot still. of baby pigs. I'd wake up every day and just like, that's what I was first greeted with. Yeah. And yeah, pigs are incredibly smart and beautiful animals. I know people are like, yeah, bacon. <laughs> but um, I'll tell you they what. They do provide, man. If you do yeah. spend it some time, you'll understand that there's a lot more that they provide than just to be consumed mm. as a breakfast yeah. food. But um. Anyways, I was working there. I was going to a coffee shop in the mornings, and I was working on a little documentary that was essentially focused on connecting people to the food system, food systems in general, trying to get them more connected with small farmers and organic, you know, farms that existed in Montana and elsewhere, and the importance behind them. And this documentary crew came in, and they were also on this big mission, and one of the guys that was heading it, his name's Daryl, he is working on this project right now to help out with a universal basic income for people that are below the poverty line. Hmm. And so he was traveling around the world, and he was finding places that were struggling with something, whether it was food insecurity, poverty, chronic diseases, and he was trying to find um creative entrepreneurs that were trying to help and we stumbled across each other in the coffee shop i told him what i was doing and he ended up featuring me on his film um did a whole episode on the farm i was at 
came to the farm, full story, um, got to the end of it, and he offered me a seed grant. He was like, I want to help you out with what, whatever you want to do um, in relation to what you're already doing, and just kind of like, here's some extra support, and offered me a $25,000 seed investment at the time. And I was just blown away. I was working on music, just working on the farm, trying to bring a lot of these ideas that I have into the world. And that happened, and I kind of, you know, was like blown away by that happening, went back to the farm, cried, thought I was like dreaming because there was so much about it that was like just a complete manifestation of what I was trying to summon in, and it happened. And I ended up telling him later on, I sat with it for a while, and I was like, hey, man, like with the $25,000 seed investment, that means that I got to pay something back eventually, and I am still have a year left of school, not really super well-versed in the world of business, need to take some time to really kind of just sit with this. So I ended up kind of hanging out and I told him, let's let's wait till I graduate and let's stay in touch. And that's what we did. Mm. And then in his continual process, he was on his own mission. He was trying to figure out how to make this work. Um, we kept talking and I was asking him more question about like what he wants to do in the realm of financial engineering and trying to help people that are struggling financially and this long, longer, like overarching goal of like how do we be essentially make money become obsolete mm. and that's that's like what a big part of my mission is with this next journey um this whole year long thing is to study different economic systems and um you know places of living where they've established these portals of abundance essentially and so that's what i kept riffing on him with was like really what we need to do is we need to like the whole regenerative agriculture movement and these ideas of creating permaculture-based farms, if you create such a robust food system and you start to recognize that all of the things that we need to buy come from a resource base and we, to tie this all together, if we see ourselves as the ultimate keystone species and co-creatives with the earth, you can come across pieces of land, steward it, build it in a way that you have an abundance of food, you have creative entrep entrepreneurs who know how to take that food and turn it into value-added agriculture, tinctures, jams, whatever kind of things you can start to, you can start to use this deeper understanding of how to utilize your resources for clothing, for all of these different things. If you get the right people on the right piece of land, you open up a portal of abundance where everybody has their essential needs and now they're starting to pour back into their surrounding community and then you propagate that system over and over again. Mm. If you do that over and over again, over and over and over and over again, you don't need money. It becomes a lot more like people that do create something and put their time and energy into something, they should be compensated. Mm. Whatever that token, whatever that form of exchange, whether it's Bitcoin or some kind of cryptocurrency in the, in the blockchain of the future, super important. But essentially, what is it that we need? Mm. Like, what is it at the very core, basic minimum? What do we need as human beings? You know, like food, shelter, water, community, love, creative expression. If you, if you, if you go and create these spaces. Like, what is that going to do longer term? So his vision was a great mitigation tool of like, 
in the meantime, people are like, I don't care about sustainability. I literally need to like make it to the grocery store with the little amount of money I have, gas money, because I live in a food desert, mm-hmm. you know, and I need to feed my kids. They don't, they don't care about sustainability, this or that. They just literally need money right now. That's the, what, that's the current world that we live in. So in the process of me helping him kind of complete his longer-term vision of what he wants to do, he rewarded me with, instead of the seed grant, he's now getting me involved with this program that he's calling Basic Income Works, and it's unconditional, and he's giving me a $1,000 stipend for the next 12 months mm. to go visit and explore these eco-villages, permaculture farms, whatever it is, these people that have that are, are working towards establishing these kind of systems that I'm speaking about, because that's the overarching goal. If, I think if we could direct our attention and focus and time towards creating those systems across the earth and allowing for people to have the freedom, it's not a commune, it's not a cult, it's literally just, you know, how do you create this diverse plot of land where you wake up every day and have a multiplicity of activities that you can partake in and all of them are allowing you to be more connected with your experience that's kind of the that's the whole culmination of what brought this into fruition and that's the journey essentially that i'm about to go on is there's a whole bunch of eco villages all across the world there's incredible institutes and organizations that have similar models this is by no means you know something original um on my end um but that's that's kind of where I, where i'm heading yeah. i'm, I'm going to continue to explore and and then there's a whole lot of creativity of the transitional the kind of liminal space mm. of how do we get there yeah you know and so before you go into kind of like when you get down there and like maybe the what you were about to go on to before I kind of had to give the origins of all this, like when you sit there and you see what this guy is doing, what yourself is doing and kind of what you said and, and on and on and on and on. Right. Like, in, in, as, as I apologize. We, if I never, never went too far. There. No, never, yeah. never. I meant when you said like how you can replicate someone doing this that then seeds someone else to do it, that then seeds someone else to do it. Before you actually get those people and we have this society that is so codependent on the grocery store and dependent on the mass food markets that we have, how do you think people get to the point that you're getting to, to the point that when people do become one of those, um, I forget how you phrased it, but become one of those people that are seeding the next people that then go and find a plot of land to then give that to the next person who wants to do the exact same thing. How do we how do we funnel people into the mindset to even get there? Because like you said, there's some people who live in food deserts who all they need to do is get to the grocery store with their little amount of gas money that they have to get the little amount of food to feed their kid to go to the school system that's not great, living a poverty lifestyle or you know uh, one below than the national average. How do you sway that mindset to getting into something like this that does seem like a very nice benefit a very nice 180 from the way that they are and give up a lot of the things that they'd need to because they won't be making the currency to sometimes have the the toys such as a tv or um uh, whatever you want to think a, a boat or whatever those things if you have a boat maybe you're doing pretty good but you know what i mean like how do you sway that mindset to get to these 
these points? That's a great question, man. <laughs> a really good question. Uh, that that is the question. Uh, it's a it gets into a whole different world beyond just you know speaking about sustainability and agroecology and and connecting with the land. It, it's acknowledging the the kind of you know there's like all of these spheres of existence. There's different strata. I feel like layers. Um, and a lot of them are unseen and there's like this whole cultural narrative. There's like culture. You have to study culture. Mm. You have to study, you have to study human emotion. You have to study yourself. You have to like reverse engineer the process of how you, how I got to this place. Like I have to look back and be like, how was it that I got to this place? And how can I maybe speed that process up for other people or make it easier, um, with the tools I have now? And I think a big part of it is we're very visual and we don't know something can exist until we create a vision surrounding it. So mm. a big part of it is creating a vision and a feeling and and speaking in a different language that gets past the rational mind mm. of human beings and strikes them somewhere that's like ancient and like hits a chord somewhere where they're like, holy shit, mm. this is what I've been missing mm. like my whole life. Like, <laughs> You know, like I think, I think my friend, my best friend and roommate, um, Nick Tenney. I don't know if you know him. Mm -hmm. um, he's an incredible cinematographer, incredible visionary. He's just a magician at his craft. Um, that's a lot of what we work on. We're trying to create um, pieces of art, um, you know, through sound and music and and. Yeah, essentially we're trying to create, I think film and the world of cinema is an incredible universal language. You don't have to use words, but if you can if you can create this feeling and this vision around what that would be like to live in one of these spaces in the future, I think for a lot of people um, that can afford to shift their resources and reallocate what they do have towards something else, they'll that is one of the, you know, most potent ways. I think for the people that are in these positions where, you know, where they can't really even afford to have a conversation or like the convenience of exploring and having, you know, the space for a think tank to like innovate, like we should try to do this really cool thing and buy this land and create a permaculture farm. I think it really comes down to just there's something deeply embedded into our value metric and the way that we walk around in a day-to-day -day basis that we're assigning value to certain things. And if you could get people that have a lot of money, you know, an, an abundance in the meantime to shift their attention and, and their resources and, and invest in creatives, there's so many people with brilliant ideas and these people are probably the ones that are considered disposable. Mm. Those people have like some of the best ideas and are the most resourceful and creative humans on this planet. So the recognition and the shift in assigning value to those people being very valuable and then putting your money and resources and attention and time and specialists and team building and collaboration around those spaces you can you can then you know shift that place but otherwise you just mm. need to open up enough of these places where 
it becomes more of a conversation of accessibility because to create all these different eco-villages and abundant places without making them accessible to the people that need them the most is just this really ironic kind of sick thing for for us to do that do have the resources because we're also like severing like this this point of really acknowledging the true history of how everything came to be you know in many situations the number of indigenous cultures that were um, exposed to genocide and yeah. extractive ways of coming through and slave labor and stripping you know or cutting out all of their stories and cosmologies and religions and ways of existing with the land and they you know there's just so many examples of those those things that were that were deemed barbarian and um you know savage were actually like so intuitively intelligent mm. and and beautiful so i mean that's that's a really long-winded explanation but i it needs to be because it is very you know like a great question is like it's super it's super dynamic and complex and it's relative to whatever situation and whatever demographic we're speaking about of who you know who is your audience that you're trying to shift the paradigm with mm. you know there's a lot of people I've, I've i've shared my dreams and these ideas with so many people my age they're so the right there with it mm. and it's just a matter of infrastructure it's a matter of actually just providing the opportunity to wake up every day and do cool things yeah and so that's kind of the goal me and this guy are trying to you know team up on and figure out ways to tell stories and I think that if you can reach a tipping point and a threshold where if enough people hear this story and this way of being um, and existing on earth then I think we can make the shift and it starts it does start like you were saying it's a cultural it's a it's the consensus reality it's what we've deemed to be normal mm. and normative that needs to like shift mm -hmm. and I think it's I think it's ready I think there's so many younger, the younger generation and, and a lot of older people are starting to like know it to be true too. Yeah. I think we're in a really prime and malleable time right now on earth to make the shift. Yeah. And it's using all the tools in the quiver of our, of our society to do so. Like you said, the visual element is people need to see it. You know, me and your, your roommate, we, we work with a camera. We work with this tool that allows people to see the world from all over the world. And it's that tool paired with the vision of people like yourself and this guy, the story behind why it is, pair that all together, let people see it, feel it, hear it, and they can then start to become inspired, can start to make that change themselves. And just, you know, I always use this analogy, and it's a far-reaching one for this point, um, and very funny to use this one, but... There's a reason that there's people that are on a cross-country drive when they're sitting there at four in the morning just trying to get through. If you see the Burger King logo or you see the McDonald's Golden Arch logo, you're more prone to go to that Golden Arch logo because for years they, they you know, put into your mind, this is the place to go. We've got all this stuff. And even if you're going to say no for the first 20 years, you're going to get you that one time as you're driving through the country in in middle of Nebraska at 4 a.m. We're going to get you. And... <laughs> It's that kind of messaging. Again, funny one to connect to this one as we talk about actual sustainability super, super living and stuff. Though, yeah. But it's that point of 
how do you keep feeding the consciousness this information? And it seems like you and this person and other people alike have started to get that ball rolling. And I'm proud to be one part of that with your story being told here. Like, I really can't thank you enough for coming on here, man. And if I didn't have to go, because I do have a lot of things <laughs> yeah. to get to, thank you, man. I, we could talk for hours and hours. You know that. I mean, th this is fascinating to me. And like I said, there was something that attracted me to you right off the bat, just to say, like, there's something to this person that's like soulful. The, the well is deep is what I kind of use, right? That's kind of my litmus test for a lot of people. I'm like, how deep's that well? That a, lot. a lot of people are like, yeah. that's deep, man. That's deep, dude. And sometimes I'm like, I have to catch myself like, all right, man, you just like, you just walked in, like give yourself a few minutes. <laughs> but it also is that truth where it's like, I'll be at a place and I'll be talking to someone and you kind of, you hit the bottom of that well, you yeah. know, that proverbial well and you're like, okay. And it's nothing <laughs> against that person. It's nothing against anybody. It's just, I'm always seeking for that well that I find just, goes and goes and goes and I can't see the bottom because there's this endless am amount and array of just energy and information and story that just drives me to again dovetail into this seamlessly drives me to keep doing what I love to do and I hope that then I inspire people to go about and find it who they want to be and align themselves with the people and the subject matters and the places that they need to be in to bring that out in them absolutely man so, so beautifully said <laughs> and i just got to say you're an incredible podcaster the way that you facilitated this and like even just kind of when i do go deep like you said just bringing us back to the surface and like you know making sure we're kind of gathered and all of it i you know in these kind of conversations um it is a place where i do like to go deep mm. but i am a very playful human being <laughs> in many s scenarios but yeah, man, incredibly beautiful podcasting. And I agree the the magnetism that was kind of, I could feel it. There was something that needed to happen. And I'm glad that I got to be on this and share, you know, my story. And, and I'm really excited just to hear more about your story, you know, even off this podcast. For sure, man. Yeah. Well, Dylan, thank you so much, man. And uh, safe travels. And I can't wait to hear about it when you get back, man. Thank you, brother. Cool. Appreciate it. All right, I'd like to thank my guest today for being on the show. I'd also like to thank all of you for your continued support as we move forward into this journey. And to remind everyone, including myself, that doing anything for the love of it will ultimately bring more worth than if otherwise. I'm thankful for these moments spent, and I hope you can find a moment to be thankful for the things you value in your life and pass that on. I'll see you on the other side.